Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. We're glad to have a couple of visitors here this morning. We're glad you're here. We hope you enjoy your stay and come back and see us whenever you can. This morning, we're going to let the text of 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, present the lesson. I'm merely going to be reading it pretty much throughout the morning. Uh, this particular portion of the letter of 1 Peter talks about an idea known as living stones, living stones. I'll tell you right now, if I'm out walking and a rock starts moving, it's going to freak me out, but that's not what we're talking about today. It's a different idea, living stones. So join me here this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2. Picking up in verse 4, Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, I want to start with a personal note of remembrance. This text and this topic has a very personal connection to me and certainly to my dad. Uh, I have at, at my house a Bible with an outline of this topic, this text, titled Living Stones, that was a sermon my grandfather gave back in the 1950s, I believe. And so uh, dad, sure enough, when he saw the handout this morning, started tapping at it and pointing it to me, and I knew he was going to do that. That's why I said personal note. Unfortunately, I did not get to hear what my grandfather said, but I can tell by the outline that uh, he, he, he was right on what I would want to say from the text as well. So let's talk about living stones here, 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, what he's talking about here is as you and I come to Jesus. And then Peter describes Jesus as a living stone. What an odd image. What an odd image. A stone that is alive. This is the third time so far in 1 Peter that he has used the idea of something being living. He talked about in chapter 1, verse 3, that we were born again to a living hope, to a living hope. And in chapter 1, verse 23, the living word. And now he talks about a living stone, a living stone, Jesus, a living stone. A living stone that was rejected by men. Jesus was despised and rejected. And too often... We'll attempt in many ways, it seems, to pin that on the people who lived 2,000 years ago, to pin that on the religious leaders of the time that managed to somehow dupe the Romans into putting Jesus to death. Don't ever do that, because by our own individual actions, you and I have at one point in the past despised and rejected Jesus. When we were making choices to live the way we wanted to live, we were every bit as guilty as the people 2,000 years ago. All of us, all of us are responsible for Jesus having been rejected because each one of us rejected God and Jesus at least at one point in our life. Jesus may have been rejected by men, but in the sight of God, He's chosen and precious. You know, what you and I reject really doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, you know, you can always find people who will reject you or talk you down, but hopefully, right, you've got some member of family or someone that really lets you know your true worth, you're accepted. I certainly hope that no matter what happens to us during the week, no matter how we may be rejected 
on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, each one of you understands that when we gather together here as we are this morning, that you are chosen and precious not only by God, but you are precious in the sight of each one of your brothers and sisters here in Lindsley Avenue. Jesus was rejected by men, but in the sight of who really matters, God, he was chosen and precious. A precious stone chosen by God. You know, much like we as people sometimes will get that fever, uh, even might call it an irrational fever, to start chasing something that's pretty or shiny or that glints in the light. Rubies, emeralds, diamonds, you know, that happens to a lot of people right before they decide to, to tie the knot, we might say. Um, the difference here is not that the stone is any less precious, but it's a different kind of stone, not because of outward appearance. You know, most people don't want a diamond that's orange and cloudy. They want one that's clear and shiny and reflects all sorts of colors when you put it in the light. We want something and deem it precious by how it looks. Jesus had no looks or form that would cause us to desire to be around him. He was not some sort of, you know, most handsome man alive candidate. We're told that in the Bible. He is chosen and precious by who he was and his devotion to doing what God had asked him to do. The very big difference here is that Jesus is chosen and precious by God, not based on appearance, which is how we almost always choose and desire things ourselves. So as we come to Jesus, you yourselves, Peter says, us, all of us, you yourselves like living stones. He now takes that image that he applied of a living stone, Jesus, who had been chosen and re, uh, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and applies it to his readers and hearers. We are also living stones, and we're being built up as a spiritual house. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a house made out of rocks. There, there is the rock house out toward Hendersonville. It's, it's a lot of rock on the outside. My grandparents' house had walls made of sandstone. It had the orange-yellow look of sandstone. It wasn't brick, I mean, bricks are kind of rocks too, but the sandstone was really like rocks. Well, the word here for built, we as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. That's the same word Jesus used when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. What is this spiritual house that each of us are being placed in a, a position as that house gets built up over time? It's the church. When we come to Jesus, you and I become one stone in that building that we call the church. It's not a physical place like, like this beautiful auditorium. But each one of you, each one of us, are a rock laid in the building of God's spiritual house, the church. Much like a building really is not complete when there's a wall that's a bit shaky because it's missing a few stones, or it's not complete because the top isn't sealed off. Every single living stone, each one of you, each one of us, is very, very important to that spiritual house that we are a part of. And as we come to Jesus, we
we are being built up as that spiritual house, his church, the family of God, one by one. Don't ever think, don't ever allow yourself to think that you're not important, that you're not worth anything, that you are rejected by everyone and everything because it's not true. It's not. You are in many, many ways, in a similar way, every bit as precious to God as you ought to be. You're so precious, in fact, that he sent his son, allowed his son to come and die for you, to change you so that you can become part of that spiritual house, the church. Don't buy into what people around you may tell you from time to time because it's a lie. It's a flat out lie. You are incredibly precious to God and to your fellow brothers and sisters. As you come to him, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Why? Why are we being built up as a spiritual house? Why are we being built up into this structure, this, this church, this spiritual house of God to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? To be a holy priesthood sounds fancy, sounds complicated, a holy priesthood. Well, the real meaning of that is all of us as believers are priests. What does it mean to be a priest? The priest was the one who could approach God. Back in the days of the people of Israel, the priest was the one who approached God for the people. We have a high priest, Jesus himself, but all of us now have the ability to go directly to God through prayer, to take our problems, our concerns, our worries, to take what we want God to hear directly to him. In fact, in 2 Peter 2.9, that Howell read a moment ago, Peter calls us a royal priesthood. We are a priesthood of the king. A priesthood of the king. What's our, what are our priestly duties supposed to be? Why are we priests? Why are we given this ability to approach God directly? Peter tells us to offer spiritual sacrifices. We don't take goats. We don't take lambs and kill them and pour the blood all over an altar and set fire to things like they used to anymore. Our sacrifices are spiritual. In Hebrews 13, verse 16, the writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect, neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In Romans 12, it's not on the screen, but in Romans 12, Paul said, that we were to offer our bodies as a spiritual sacrifice, your reasonable service, your spiritual worship. Our lives, what we do and how we live are to be offered to God as a sacrifice. No longer doing what we want to do. No longer doing what we used to do. But our lives now are given to God in his service. Through our, remember our resolutions last year and this year? Through loving God and our neighbor and by bearing one another's burdens. That's the kind of sacrifice of our own selves with which God is pleased. 
These sacrifices are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And there's your Romans 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If I try to give my body to God, but it's been involved in things God's not going to be happy with, things that were in defiance to God, this isn't going to work. Our bodies need to be holy and acceptable to God. That means not living for ourselves on late Saturday night and then coming and trying to present ourselves and our bodies and our lives to God as acceptable on Sunday morning. We all make mistakes. The question is, what will we do about it? And if we're trying to put on a show by, I lived how I wanted to from Sunday at noon till Sunday morning at seven o'clock and now put on the show of coming to worship services, God sees everything. That's not what we're talking about. You've got to be different on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday all through the week because we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different. Take a look at what he says next. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, precious, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's a quotation, two quotations joined together, one from Psalm 118 and Isaiah chapter 28. Jesus, in fact, had called that scripture out and talked about himself he says, and referred to it about himself. He says in Luke 20, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It looked as if Jesus, in fact, had been totally rejected by men. But in the purpose of God, in the plan of God that he set in motion before he ever spoke the world into existence, Jesus was to be rejected. God knew that was going to happen. But Jesus would then become the cornerstone, the foundation stone, the first stone laid in what would become that spiritual house that you and I are to be a part of. In Isaiah 28, Part of the reference there in the First Peter 2 quotation. The reference to that stone is, is Israel. The sure and precious stone would have been God's unfailing relationship to his people that culminated in sending the Messiah to them who they rejected. Who they rejected. Paul uses that idea over in Ephesians 2, 19-22. Look at how Paul referred to the cornerstone here in Ephesians. Paul says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Here he's talking to people who were not from a Jewish background, people who were from a Gentile background. I presume that's most of us. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, people who are not part of the chosen people of God. We're no longer separated from God because we were not born into Jewish families. But you are... I would love to put in here now because it's true, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus, the anointed chosen Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit as we become living stones, as we become part of that spiritual house, the church, we become a 
dwelling place for the Spirit. The Apostle Paul said, don't you know the Spirit of God dwells within you? How can I have the Spirit of God dwelling within me and give my body to other things during the week? My body needs to be offered as that living sacrifice and be holy and acceptable to God. Peter and Paul took this idea of the chief cornerstone that is rejected and applied it to Jesus as that precious and immovable foundation stone of God on which we are being laid one at a time as God's spiritual house is being built up. So the honor, Peter continues, is for you who believe. We are the ones who have been honored. We are the ones who are being built up into that spiritual house. We are the ones whose lives have been changed. We are the ones in whom the Spirit of God dwells. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble, Peter says, because they disobey the word, even as they were destined to do. Those who don't believe, they stumble and take offense at the cornerstone. So many of the Jewish people in the first century could not get past the fact that Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus, who they were being told was the Messiah, had been hung on a cross, killed, they thought, as a common criminal. After all, the law said, whoever is hung upon a tree is cursed by God. Yes, Jesus was cursed by God. He was hung on the cross and took upon himself the sins of the whole world. You can't get any more cursed or separated from God than that. Unfortunately, that caused so many Jewish people to not be able to see the truth of who Jesus was. Now, to the Jews, Jesus' crucifixion was a stumbling block. And to the Greek population, many of the Greeks, it didn't seem to make any sense at all. They just couldn't see it as they were destined to do. Well, the punishment, separation from God, let me say this as kind of an aside, is not looking at individual people having been predestined not to believe, as some of our religious friends and neighbors may say, before God ever created the world. You are not set to a predestined future. I would hate to think that before the world began, Matt, I'm going to pick on you, that God had chosen either Matt or me to go home and live with him in heaven and chosen the other one to go to hell. That's not the message of the Bible. Those who disbelieve, who do not accept Jesus, that decision, God knew, predestined people who make that decision to not be part of his family. All of us, while we have life, have the ability to come to God and to get our lives set the way He wants them to and become part of that spiritual house. Don't ever think, there's just no hope for me. If you're still moving, there's hope. It simply means, as we say, that particular people were not individually predestined to reject Jesus. Think about Jewish people. Think of the difference between Nicodemus, who came and said, we know you're a teacher from God, wanted to learn, and Caiaphas, who just did not see it at all. There is no predestination of individuals. Look at the passage again in a larger context right here. We'll go back. 
I'm going to repeat myself because I think the passage needs to be repeated. Listen to it again. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Notice how it starts off, but you. Whenever you see the word but in the text, always look to see what came before because it's going to be a contrast. Who had Peter just been talking about? People who had rejected Jesus. People who by their choice were predestined to be separated from God. But you, people he's talking to here, have accepted Jesus. You are not those who stumble. You are a chosen race. God's people are not defined by skin color, ethnic background, or anything you can see on the outside. We are defined by those whose hearts have been surrendered to God and people who want to follow Jesus and become the kind of people God wants us to be. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We are adopted children of the King. We are a holy nation, a group that are supposed to be different from the world around us. And a people for his own possession. I love that. The root word for that possession that's translated right there is the, is the word used for a flock of sheep. The church, God's people are often called a flock. Elders are supposed to oversee and take care and feed the flock of God, right? We're little baby sheep to God. That's how much he cares about us. I always like to point out, too, the word almost always when it occurs in the Bible is the word for a baby sheep. I've seen some adult sheep. They're big. Can I just be honest? They kind of smell. Right? I don't care too much for adult sheep. Most children don't have some stuffed toy that's four feet tall. But almost every child at some point will have a little fuzzy little baby lamb. Because babies of most anything look cuddly. That's what we do with them. Come on. Y'all had to have had a little cuddly animal to snug on the thing. I'm sure, right? Well, if you can remember that, either seeing your children be that way, or if you think that far enough remembering a toy you may have had that you like to snuggle up to and cuddle with, that's the image God wants us to see whenever we're called the flock of God. Every bit as much as it's cute and loving to see a child loving on a little stuffed animal, that's the way God feels about you. Whether you're 10 or whether you're 95, it doesn't matter. God wants to cuddle up and love on you, and he does love on you each and every day. Don't ever forget that you're to God. You're his little baby lamb, and he loves and cares about you. We are members of God's family, the flock of God. Paul used that language. I talked about it over in Acts 20. Why have we now been part of this group of people? To proclaim the excellencies of God, to proclaim what God did for us, to proclaim all the wonders that God brings into the world through Jesus himself. And God called us out of darkness. Where we used to be was in darkness. We were living for ourselves. We were lost. 
And he called us out of darkness, not simply into its opposite of light, but look at the word that shows up right there. Into his marvelous light. It's not merely a flashlight over in the corner saying, go over here and you'll be able to. It's a special light that is incredible. It's fabulous. We have been brought into the best possible light where we used to be living in darkness. God has many marvelous things put aside for his people. This is merely one of them. Once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Have you ever, I sure hope not, but have you ever been told you're a nobody? Actions ever suggested to you that maybe you're nobody? I think some of us may used to have felt that way in grade school. They'd be picking a team. It's like, I don't want Sammy on the team. And they would even say it out loud. I want to play too. We don't want you here. We don't, I don't want you on my team. You take Sammy or, or whatever it may be, right? Kids sometimes are unknowingly cruel. Unfortunately, some people never grow up and they stay being cruel. They can make others feel like they don't belong or they are nobody. One person we may remember used to tell groups of people to say after him that I am somebody. Absolutely, you are somebody. You are somebody that God loves. Don't ever, ever think that you're a nobody. The passage here is saying you used to not be God's people, but now you are God's people. That's really what the message here is. You had not received mercy because you were separated from God and as Gentiles really had no hope to ever get mercy from God because that was reserved for his people. But now, now, we are God's people, and we have received mercy. What a wonderful change was brought about when Jesus came to die for everyone. The idea here actually comes from the book of Hosea. Don't read the book of Hosea very often, but that's where this comes from. Hosea 2 said, God here speaking, and in that day, I will have mercy on no mercy. What does he mean? I'm going to have mercy on the people that have no idea they were ever going to get mercy. And I will say to not my people, the people who are not God's people at that time, the Gentiles, you are my people. And he shall say, these people shall say, you are my God. We are, in fact, God's people today. We have received mercy and we shout aloud in joy that he is our God. Paul had said that too back in Romans 9. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. You and I, all of us, can be children of God today. He then says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage against your soul. How do I remain a child of God? How do I remain as someone that's part of God's family? How do I have to change my life to be part of God's family? 
Peter says it right here at the end. He says, I urge you to realize this world is not your home. You're a stranger. You're an exile. You're living in a foreign land. There are a lot of people that go to other countries. They may be living there, but that's not their home. This is not your home. And the things that we do here are living in a place and doing things that are not what we should be doing because this is not what's important. It's not. We cannot accept the laws and the ways of the world, our culture around us, because we are called to be different. That's what the word holy means. We're supposed to be different. Others can accept what the culture says. Others can accept the way of the world and the laws that may be out there. Christians cannot. We have to direct our lives by the laws of the kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. You may be a citizen of the United States. You may be a citizen of, of, of Britain. That doesn't matter at all in the big scheme of things. I can love my country, but I've got to realize in many ways it is not important. Certainly not if it ever tempts me to go into conflict with being a citizen of heaven. Heaven's where my home is. Heaven's where my heart needs to be. Heaven is what I need to be focused on. When you look at all the divisions in our world today, in our country, in our city, so much of it is focused on what? The here and now. We need to be more focused on the, I can say, hereafter. Because if we're focused on the hereafter, I think we'll find it much easier to get along in the here. So we can't do anything that will stop us from reaching that ultimate goal. We have to be focused on changing my life from wrong to right. We call that repentance, the big word. And we need to be focused on developing the kind of inward character that God wants us to have. He then also continues to say, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, if we claim and we say we are members of God's family, but we get arrested for fighting, we get arrested for behavior, or people see us doing things that would not be as God would want us to live, that undermines the call that we make to people to change themselves. You didn't change, why should I have to change? The opposite of that is, no matter what's going on around us to show love, care, and concern for people, so that if we ever are accused of things, it really rebounds on them. Really rebounds on them. Paul had said in Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The way that's best translated is live, only let your life as a citizen be worthy of the gospel of Christ if you look at that. We need to be the best citizens this town has ever seen because we are, in fact, citizens somewhere else. It's, it's odd, but that's the reason for why we need to be the best citizens Nashville's ever seen. We are the first to jump to help, the first to show care and concern, the first to open a hand out to help. That is how we show around us, our friends and neighbors, that we are trying to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
our manner of lives may very well be the best evangelical method we have. You can stand at the street corner all day and shout at people that God loves them and they'll look at you like you're a kook. Somebody followed me around out in California that way. He was on the sidewalk shouting and stuff and I was just like, what? There's certainly a point. You've got to tell people about Jesus, but one way to do that is to show, I love and care about you. Show that you're different. So in conclusion, are we living stones? Are you living stone in the house of God that's being built? Or are we going to be someone who is in the end rejected? How would I know? Is my manner of life consistent with trying to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? We're about to sing the song, Trust and Obey. You can't trust Jesus and obey Jesus if you don't know Jesus. So if you're already a member of God's family, if you're a stone in the house of God, and you just need prayer to focus more on what God wants you to be, this will be the time to come, and we're happy to take your name before God and pray for you. If you're not a member of God's family, don't let today slip away. You've got to turn your life around from wrong to right, You've got to confess that you understand what Jesus did for you and the glory that God is bringing to you. And then you need to die to yourself and be raised to walk in newness of life in the water here behind that curtain. That's all it takes. The choice is yours as we stand.